Nielsen says, radio listenership remains strong. Bueller? Bueller? <laughs> and, and are real fake influencers more influential than fake real influencers? <laughs> great headlines. Great headlines. Isn't that the great headline? That is the greatest headline. This is episode 94 of Media Unplugged. Almost as many episodes as I feel right now. The <laughs> podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to the one and only Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. <laughs> and I'm the one and only Tom A. Sacker. That you are. Nielsen says radio listenership remains strong. Bueller, Bueller. Now, obviously a reference to everyone's favorite um, movie from the 80s, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, here's why I think this is interesting, Tom. This is a constant refrain from Nielsen on behalf of the radio industry. And I, I want to talk about this sincerely because I think there are two sides to this and they're both really important. Okay. Um, the headline very often is, look, radio reaches as many people as ever. Radio reaches more people than anybody else does. Adults 18 to 49, this is from a piece in Radio Inc. Adults in 18 to, 18 to 49 are the demo that tunes in the most. The monthly reach for these listeners is 98% of all of them. The monthly reach for 25 to 54 is 99% of all of them. It's just vast. Almost everybody samples radio at some point during a month. The, the problem with this, I think, is inherent in the, the words. Um, anytime you talk about reach, you're only talking about one piece of the equation. First of all, um, this is an argument on behalf of uh, Nielsen, uh, really, which really speaks to radio's advertisers. Uh, because the, every radio advertiser is imagining this scenario whereby people don't listen to the radio anymore. So it's incumbent upon Nielsen to communicate, oh, yes, they do. Mm -hmm. And look just how vast that usage is. The problem is that when you reduce usage down to a do you ever from a do you always, <laughs> right. it's a, it's a, the bar lowers dramatically. So when you ask people, do you ever listen in the course of a month? We're talking about up to 12 times a year, Tom. <laughs> then it's almost impossible for people to say no when you're dealing with a medium with the habit and ubiquity and ease of use and familiarity and presence in every car like radio. It's almost impossible to say no. That's a different question from how important is this to you? How impactful is this to you? How often do you engage in this? How much do you care about the content on this? How unique and compelling is this? To what degree do you tune this in before any other options? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. <laughs> Look, I don't... <laughs> Okay, so do I doubt the numbers? Well, I mean, I'd really have to understand the process with these people meters, diaries, and whatever they're doing. Because honestly, Mark, in my entire life, I have never met a human being who was actually doing that, ever. I, <laughs> you mean, you mean a met a human being was participated in the radio ratings process? Never, never. I've never met a person wearing a people meter or writing in a diary. or I, Never. I never heard anybody mention it to me. So I'd have to at least understand that, right? Okay, anyway, so does listening to the radio, which, okay, if I believe the numbers people do, does that imply listening to the ads? Okay, and does listening to the ads imply liking the ads? Now, look, I'm no genius. I don't believe that those are like logical assumptions. But to your point, more importantly, and this is what, these are what numbers are really for, 
Do those numbers tell a compelling story of people's changing media preferences, cultural relevance, all of that? I No, I don't think it does. See, that's the issue. You just nailed the issue, which is rather than argue, oh, no, we're still being used by almost everyone, at least a little bit. It may not be as much as it was, although we won't say those words, but we're still being used by everyone, at least somewhat. Instead of making that argument, the argument should say, here's why the content is vital. Here's why the content is beloved. Here's why the content is sought out. Here's why people love to engage with the content. By the way, these are all arguments that theoretically, theoretically, radio can make. It's just that the industry largely chooses not to. And instead, it's, 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 a, it's an argument based on reach. And relative to your question about who participates in the ratings, that's a whole other issue, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that it's such a game nowadays, the entire Nielsen process, it's, it's based on so few record keepers it's right. based on so few people, and to and there and the the gamesmanship, literally, in terms of bonuses and you know incentives and dollars thrown at you in order to play along the game. I mean, it's really debatable whether it's more carnival today than <laughs> consumption. You know? No, I do know. It reminds me of a guy at the gym I saw laying at the floor in a gym, and he was shaking his hands and his his eyes were closed i thought he was stroking out of something and i went over and i said to him are you okay roger and he said no jesus i'm fine i'm just i've got one of these fitbits and I, and i'm putting more steps on it because i'm having a competition with my family <laughs> so <laughs> so in other words it was the uh the uh, um the the uh, what, what is it that my wife says it was the the um there's there's a terminology for that, right? <laughs> what is the terminology for that? I don't know. Strange. <laughs> well, it's that too. But no, it's it's the the impression of progress is more important. In other words, winning the game becomes the game. Right. The game itself no longer is the game, or it's all a game, and it has nothing to do with the 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 presumed purpose of this technology, which was at its origin, at least ar- arguably, to promote health. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now it's to complete the, it's to win the contest, you know. Right. It's 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 really amazing and and indeed radio measurement listening measurement has become very much of a contest nowadays that very few people participate in. Um so it's really problematic, but I say again, it's like the industry can make all these arguments. I do believe that there are many, many cases where radio is very impactful, where radio is very engaging, where radio really provides a reason to tune in and consume content and be part of a larger experience. You can see that reflected in the effectiveness of radio advertising when it makes that turnstile turn, when it makes those events grow, you know, mm-hmm. when it makes those, uh, when it makes the concerts uh, uh, full. You can see it. It's just that that case study is not used by the industry because it's obsessed with this notion that people think no one's listening anymore so they have to keep arguing that they are and that gets them into a trap and here's the other reason it gets them into a trap tom it's because while it may be true and i emphasize may that almost everybody is listening at least once a month uh to radio it is also true that the frequency of listening has declined pretty dramatically, and it's declined especially dramatically among younger demos, the mm. frequency of listening. Right. That's just a fact. That's an unadvertised fact, but it's a fact. And it's because we consumers, we advertisers, we broadcasters can feel that. 
even if we ignore the data, we can feel that and it scares the hell out of us. Right, exactly. <laughs> so let's use some numbers that are optimistic. <laughs> let's use some numbers. Yeah, I mean, let's use the, the let's, let's paint the best case we can right. with the best numbers we can find. And uh, it's just that when you do that, you know, and you're dealing with thinking human beings. Oh, yeah. People know, exactly. people know what you're doing, right? right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, um, you're listening to Media Unplugged. I almost said welcome again. <laughs> you're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asecker and Mark Ramsey. Are real fake influencers more influential than fake real influencers, Tom? You know, I just want to sit here and contemplate that headline a few times. Isn't that the greatest headline? Yeah, I just love that. I, I came up with that. I just don't get it. <laughs> Sometimes I do these headlines to, to see if you will say, this headline makes no sense. And no, you I'm never sure do. No, it does. No, it feels like it makes sense. <laughs> okay, well, I think when I describe the piece, which I think is from New York Times, I think, yes. it'll, make, it'll make more sense. So the title of the piece is, These Influencers Aren't Flesh and Blood, Yet Millions Follow Them. So okay. now you understand, right? I, it's like they're it. not real influencers, but they're fake influencers. And then you could argue that the people that are real influencers actually are fake, even though they're real. So it's a play on the relationship <laughs> between real and fake. Now, have I explained the joke thoroughly enough to make I don't it? Know. I hope we haven't lost anyone. Go ahead. Tell us what right. it's about. So anyway, the, the piece <laughs> is that now what they're doing is they're creating these digital influencers. <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing is so absurd and yet so effective. So there's a growing cater of social media marketers known as virtual influencers. So here's, here's, here's one is named uh, Lil Michaela. Each month, more than 80,000 people stream her songs on Spotify. Wow. <laughs> she has worked with Italian fashion label Prada. She's given interviews from Coachella and flaunted a tattoo designed by an artist who inked Miley Cyrus. Until yet last year, when her creators orchestrated a publicity stunt to reveal her provenance, many of her fans assumed she was a flesh-and-blood 19-year-old. They should have known when she was 19 forever. <laughs> but, um, but she is made of pixels, and she was designed to attract followers and likes. I just love this story. I do, too. So why hire a celebrity, a supermodel, or even a social media influencer to market your product when you could create the ideal brand ambassador from scratch? Why? Why indeed, right, Tom? Mark, I, I'm, I'm telling you, people are listening to this, and I don't think they really appreciate what's going on. Did you look at that Calvin Klein commercial that they referenced? No, I, in that? I, I actually didn't. Tell us about it. Look, I could not. It was basically two women, like one woman walking towards the other one, and, and, you know, and they kiss. And the, one of the women was real, and the other one, I guess, wasn't. But I couldn't tell the difference between the, like the carbon-based analog life form and the digital woman. This is some crazy stuff that's going on here. Are and you trying to say that real fake influencers are more uh, real than fake real influencers? Is that what you're <laughs> trying to say? Look, I don't know. All I know is like we're at the beginning of this as far as the, the, the ability for technology to create and, and enable these, I don't know, unimaginable consumer experiences, visually at least. I mean, look. Did you see the new Lion King movie? No, I didn't. I've, oh. uh, I, I'm going to talk about that in Ransom Raves, though. Okay. Listen, it's all digitally created, but it's mind-blowing stuff. So Did you, you see at, it? No. 
Okay. <laughs> but I saw, I looked at, I looked at some of it on YouTube, like some uh -huh. of the previews and clips, and I'm looking at this little lion. It looks real. So yeah. I'm saying, how in the hell do you do this with, you know, computer technology? And so honestly, if I was a, uh, I don't know what you call it, a visual celebrity, like mm -hmm. a YouTube celebrity or a model or a, like even a porn star or something, I'd be really worried about yeah. the future because you're yeah. not going to need these people. You're not um, going to need the people. That's, that's right. I mean, if you can create a star that is as big a star as, you know, a Tom Cruise, um, and you can do it digitally, um, then you don't need Tom Cruise. <laughs> no, I'm telling you. It's crazy. I mean, that's, and obviously, this is not novel, right? That's what Toy Story is. That's what Shrek is. These are digital stars who have, you know, their own uh, ability to, and their, their own uh, rights and their own owners and their own pools of money and their own uh, agent, right? Uh, and that's what these guys are. Here's some of these studios creating these things. Here's one called Fable Studio, which builds itself as the Virtual Beings Company. I love Virtual. that. They created a uh, cartoonish character able to read and respond to viewers' reactions in real time. The company says it makes digital creations with, home, with whom you can build a two-way emotional relationship. <laughs> now, the fact that you can't very often do that with human beings is another story, right? <laughs> That's why I'm looking forward to this trend. Listen, <laughs> I, I can't wait to, in, to have better engagement with people. Plus, as a, I can't wait to be a digital influencer instead of this real one. Because, you know... <laughs> I'm really, these flights on American Airlines, they're killing me. I mean, it's just, about, you know, so all digital, no cortisol. I can't wait. I don't have to go I, give speeches that my digital guy can go do it. You know, you it'll know? be like, you know how these services <laughs> will make little bobblehead versions of you if you yeah, send exactly. in your photo? That's the thing. What you need is a digital version of you. You just give it the script for your presentation. You have it do conferences all over the country for off your regular it, rate. Off it goes. I'm telling you. And they you. should pay your regular rate, right? Because it's you. It's, it's essentially you. It's your presentation. It's your right. words. They just don't have to pay the travel and hotel and all that. They don't, and you get to sit in the beach, on the beach, <laughs> and, I know, and, at home. And, and, and check your PayPal app every day to see the money rolling. Listen, you laugh. I'm telling you this stuff is coming. <laughs> I, I love this statement by this guy, Brian Gold, in the article, who is the chief executive of a company called Hashtag Paid. And uh -huh. he said, so he said that virtual influencers could lead companies into a dangerous area because he says, how can consumers trust the message being put out there? <laughs> right, because we because, because we, we trust, trust that Matthew now. McConaughey drives a Lincoln, right? Right, because we trust that, not because he's being paid big, big bucks as the celebrity endorser. Come on, what, listen, wait, we're going. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Oh, wait a minute. Are you, are you oh, telling sorry. me you Matthew McConaughey does not? What? No, I think drive he does, a but I think they're making him drive. I'm not oh. sure. Look, look, I hope, I, he was, does. I, I, I hope I, that's him. He looks <laughs> way too he looks way too cool, calm, and collected for that not to be his actual car. Look, did I'm I ever just tell you this you. story? I ever tell you this story years ago. So I'm giving a talk and I come off the stage and this guy comes up to me, he's like this VP of marketing from someplace, and he says, We want to hire you to be the endorser of our product. And I won't I won't name the brand. And yeah. I said and I said to him, oh, I heard of that. What is that? And he says, Oh, it's uh, whiskey. And I said, shit, I can't do that. I don't like whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody thought I was an idiot for not taking the job. And I'm, I'm saying, look, I can't do it. I don't like the stuff. 
Uh, that's that's a that's a non-endorsement right there. I thought you were going to say like brill cream or something. <laughs> Little dabble, do you? <laughs> so I don't know where that came from. I was just trying to think. I don't know. You're losing. You know, listen, we are coming full circle, Mark. I'm telling you, because all they're doing really is they're going to make Tony the Tiger look like a real tiger, and he's going to be saying they're great, but it's going to look like a, a real tiger. That's all. That's true. I mean, technically speaking, what's the difference between Toucan Sam and Tony the Tiger <laughs> and these, you know, these, these, these uh, real fake humans, um, other than the fact that they're designed to appeal to more demographics? Honestly, I don't think people care whether their influencers are real or unreal. They already don't care whether they're fake or genuine. <laughs> this so is what why? I'm telling you. There's not so, going to be any blowback. This is coming. I love the fact that one of these companies, uh, their website is a public do Google Doc. I mean, I, <laughs> it's just there's an element of like extraordinary laziness there that I find oddly refreshing. Um, and they've got someone whose role is head of compassion, which I <laughs> I definitely need someone in my circle who has that role. Um, and it's just amazing. So an avatar is basically a mannequin in a shop window, says uh, the co-founder of a, a marketing firm. A genuine influencer can offer peer-to-peer -peer recommendations. This person is just living in a dream world. <laughs> a mannequin in a shop window. That's so... First of all, how many mannequins in shop windows have sold merchandise to people for generations? I know. <laughs> Listen, I'm telling you, people can't see through... The fact that this illusion that we're all dealing with called the marketplace and marketing in theater and movies, all of this stuff is an illusion that we get dragged into, right? Some fish dies in some animated film. We all start crying. I'm telling you, nobody sees. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. It's, I, I, I was saying, you know, my wife, as you know, owns a yoga studio. There's another yoga studio in town. She knows someone over there who... Uh, has a job there as a teacher, and all of a sudden it's a new place. So all of a sudden there's a review on Google or Yelp or whatever. I just took advantage of a free introductory class, and I love this place, and it's great. I haven't had a chance to try this yet. And I thought, does he say in there anywhere that he's actually been on the list as a teacher at that place for the past <laughs> year? No, he doesn't say that. Well, isn't that interesting? And, and no one cares. <laughs> and no one cares. <laughs> Oh, all right, Tom, it's time for rants and raves. What's, uh, what's oh, on your man. list this I week? I couldn't find any. Listen, I don't even know what the hell this is, but, I, well, it sure ain't Madame Tussaud. Let me put, you, put it that way. Okay. What it is is a museum in Japan that attracted more than 100,000 visitors in the first month after its opening, and it's all about poop. You hear me? <laughs> yes, no, I no. think I did. I'm yeah, afraid listen, I did. Yeah, I shit you not. Listen, visitors get a short video <laughs> introduction. Then they're asked to sit on one of seven colorful, non-functional toilets that are lined up against a wall. And then Non-functional, you hope. <laughs> oh, listen, then music plays as you pretend to poop. Then a brightly colored souvenir poop is collected <laughs> from inside the toilet bowl so you can take it home after the tour. Listen. There's wow. a ceiling-high poop sculpture in the main hall, which erupts every 30 minutes, spitting out little foam poops that you can keep. In another room, participants compete to make the biggest poop by shouting the word in Japanese, uncle. 
<laughs> as loudly as possible. I'm not kidding you. There's a soccer video game that players use a controller to kick a poop into a goal. <laughs> and at the end of the tour, visitors get a bag that can carry home their souvenir poop. And if they want more, the museum's gift shop abounds with poop-themed souvenirs. <laughs> now, you know, I, I, hate, I hate to say it, but you remember when we were kids and we would, like, <laughs> see scenes of... See scenes of like crazy shows on Japanese TV, and we would think, "Oh man, that would never happen here." That's some crazy Japanese TV thing. Well, and now that's exactly what's on television here. It's getting crazier. So, I guess to paraphrase something Mark Twain once said, he said, "When we remember, we are all mad. The people will go to a museum of shit and bring home shit replicas. The mysteries <laughs> disappear, and life stands explained." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we I you know, we need we need a blog where we can post photos from that because I'm sure people are just oh, dying it. to see it. Oh, you'll find it. Google it. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, I have a couple uh today. I, I yeah, these are all fairly short, I think, because they all just speak to the core irritation which courses through my veins oh, God. and is tripped, you know, <laughs> with the with the lightest trigger. I have a hair trigger source of irritation. Um <laughs> So the news comes out, I guess, last week around the time of Comic-Con that you know how they brought back Halloween after 40 years oh, to yeah. get, redo it with Jamie Lee Curtis and all that. And at the end, you know, Michael Myers is, you know, it's not, I, at this point, spoilers are like, the movie's been out for a year, get over it. So Michael, <laughs> they, Michael Myers basically burns up in this house. Well, guess what, Tom? What? The series isn't over. <laughs> Who would have guessed after like eight movies and a remake that from last year that there are two more movies have been announced. Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. <laughs> Halloween Ends is actually the name of a movie. That's not going to be Not the final literal. chapter, but no. Halloween Ends. You know, <laughs> it's like one. it's just, to me, it's so irritating that this becomes news because, first of all, you just knew that this was good. This is like saying... This morning, the sun came up. You know, I mean, it's, it's that level of novelty. Uh, so, yeah, October 16th, 2020, it's Halloween Kills. October 15th, 2021, it's Halloween Ends. And presumably, Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, can, will have enough money to live on for the rest of her life. Short <laughs> though it may be at this point. So, I, that's the, I just, that was just irritating to me. Here's the second thing, and this is actually funny. I got this from, again, from Radio Inc., so listen to this. In Las Cruces, which I believe is in New Mexico, two men defrauded investors out of millions after hatching a scheme that led investors to believe that they were putting money towards the next, quote, iHeartRadio-type multimedia conglomerate. <laughs> what? <laughs> so so these, these guys cheated investors out of millions thinking that what they were going to do was put together this thing to recruit radio personalities and and the money would be raised to pay for services aimed at funding an IPO that would purchase radio stations around the U.S. and put them on the Internet, thus creating a, quote, iHeartRadio type multimedia conglomerate. <laughs> I just thought, so in other words, if I put those words together, like if I were to put together a Netflix type, you know, multimedia conglomerate, I you could get, get millions of people, millions of dollars from suckers. People are going to poop museums. I mean, 
the last thing is going back to the Lion King. So this is a piece from, I don't know, I don't know what the heck, I don't even care where it's from. So it said, the Lion King is a hit, but critics aren't sure it should exist. What's that? And I think the no, Lion King is a hit, but critics aren't sure it should exist. I thought, well, this is just crazy. First of all, you know, basically the critics look at it and say, because people love it, you know, because people can take, people can, people have an endless appetite for you bringing back, you know, golden oldies in, in new uh, ways. Exactly. Bring it to Broadway. I love it. Make a new movie out of it. That's all CG. I love it. Right. Yeah. The go, original, to a, go to a Stones concert. <laughs> and especially the Stones avatars. Those guys are going to be great because they're going to be 25 forever. Those exactly. Stones avatars. So, um, so the critics are kind of irritated because they feel like the movie's not necessary. You know, it's like you have this animated classic that's now, what, 20 years old or something, um, <laughs> 25 years old, and this movie's just not necessary. Yes. So their, their anxiety over that lack of essentialness is, is, is irritating, apparently. So here's from Chicago Tribune. The new Lion King has every reason to exist in fiscal terms, it has no reason to exist as a movie we might take with us into our futures. <laughs> I don't know that it's designed for you to take it into, with you into your futures, no, quite frankly. If it were, we wouldn't need to remake it, would we? In fiscal um, terms. That's a good one. Never heard of that. If the film feels a little airless for all that open space, maybe it's because the movie's CG is so elaborately, meticulously made that it doesn't leave much room for the spark of spontaneity. What is that supposed to be? What part of CG invites spontaneity? No, I mean, but what, what, the, what the hell does it mean that it's so real? It's, it doesn't allow for... This is what I'm saying. It's like <laughs> if you put together a bunch of words, you know, you have a bunch of people saying, hmm, very interesting. Um, another reboot uh, was terribly, uh, was never terribly necessary, maybe, but it's still good to be king. So that's just someone needing uh, to get that, okay. that, that turn of phrase in there. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, we we, it has we a, like to do that, though. It has a very divided 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. Anyway, it's just interesting to me that, that people are at odds over this movie because they kind of feel like they've seen it before. Which they have. Um, <laughs> at, because they have 25 <laughs> years ago, and now they see it again, and it's almost, I guess, identical to what it was before. It's just in a completely new form because why, you know, why mess with the formula? Oh, so there you have it. That's uh, Ransom Raves for this week. Any closing comments, Tom? Well, now I don't know if I want to be a digital avatar in the future because people will say, I've seen it before, but it's not leaving enough the imagination like Tom. <laughs> <laughs> That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever the heck you're listening now. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asecker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. You can also email us at mramsey at markramseymedia.com and tomasecker at gmail.com. Catch up on older episodes at our website, mediaunplugged.net. I call them Classic or vintage episodes, Tom. I, I call them artisanal. There you go. <laughs> Special thanks to the producer of Media Unplugged, Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio for media. You can find him at jeff-schmidt.com. For Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thank you for listening.